Pray with me. Father God, thank you for this blessed morning, for gathering us here to join together corporately to abide. Lord, continue to teach us to abide in you, to know you better, to walk with you, to live in your presence. Lord, my prayer this morning for this, for this room full of people is that we would receive the life-giving freedom that comes from sharing life with you, from abiding. Now with all the people on earth, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught those he called brothers and sisters and friends. If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. You can have a seat. Does anybody recognize this guy? Does he look familiar to anyone? Show of hands. We got a few. We got a few. Uh, this is Judge Frank Caprio, and he, uh, he's the chief municipal judge in Providence, Rhode Island, and he's also got a television show called Cotton Providence, and I've never seen this television show, but there are clips of it all over the internet because this guy is known for dismissing cases. He sees a bunch of uh, traffic violations, parking violations, and these, these videos, you'll see like a, a, a three-minute clip of his show, and he listens to uh, the accused, and most of the time, they are guilty, and they'll admit that, but if they've got, if they've got something going on, you know, they're having a hard time financially, he's got compassion on these people, and he'll just say, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being honest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismiss the charge. You don't have to pay. You're fine. And so that, that's what this guy's known for. Uh, that's why there are clips of him all over the internet. I don't know. I don't know if he's a follower of Jesus, but on uh, the show's website, he's quoted for saying, the golden rule applies everywhere in life, even in the courtroom. So this guy's a... Pretty good judge, I would say. Uh, graceful, merciful judge. This morning, we are going to look at the good judge in his courtroom. And as I said in, in my prayer, my invitation for you this morning is to receive the freedom that the good judge offers to us. So, if you want to turn with me or power up your digital Bible and click with me to John chapter 8. Uh, as you flip there, 
you may notice in your pew Bible, in your pew Bible, this is page 1059 if you grabbed a pew Bible. Depending on what version you've got, you might have a note, you might have this whole story in brackets. Uh, Our pew Bibles, the NIV, has a little note in brackets. I thought, you know, my brackets have been busted like no other this weekend. Let's grab a text with some brackets that are, that are whole in place. I can't even take credit for that joke. Somebody else happened to be speaking on the same passage last March, uh, so I can't take credit for that. But Can you throw up uh, slide number four for me, Joey? So the reason that there's a note here, the reason that the text might be in brackets, This story was not found in the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John. And scholars who are much smarter than me in the field of textual criticism, which is the field of figuring out what the original uh, texts of the Bible said, have concluded probably not in John's original Gospel, this story. Uh, John 7, 53 through 8, 11. That's what we're going to read today. Also, probably not written by John at all. And yet, we should have no qualms, no reservations about this text being in our Bible. We have no reason to believe it's not a true story about Jesus. And just like we trust that the Holy Spirit guided biblical authors, scribes, editors to give us the the text that we have, we can also trust that the Spirit was guiding the early church leaders who thought this story was so important, even though it didn't have a place, they said, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta include this, we gotta throw this in somewhere. This is such an important story about Jesus. So, let's just jump in. We'll start in 753. Then each went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Pause. This is a classic setup of a, of a Jesus story, right? He's just hanging out in public, near the temple, teaching people stuff, and here come the religious elites with some kind of scheme. Well, we'll get him this time. And just as we introduce this story, Part of our goal this morning is going to be to put our shoes, to put ourselves in the shoes of this woman. And as I was thinking about that, I really struggled because I've never had anything in my life close to this kind of experience. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not easily, I'm not an easily embarrassed person, but I could imagine if I was dragged from the act of sin, probably, I, I, I guess I envision this woman like wearing a sheet 
I've got, I, I've got no comparison for this, except anybody else have the reoccurring dream where they are just doing anything and all of a sudden you're not wearing pants? That's me about once a month, which I don't dream very often, so that's like one out of every five dreams. And that, maybe that's making light of the situation a little bit, but while you're in the dream, it is real. And I'm like, holy cow, I don't know how this happened, but get me out of here. Like, the, the shame, the embarrassment, the panic... That's what we've got from this, from this woman. Those are, those are the emotions. And again, hard to imagine what that would feel like in, a, in an awake situation, in a conscious, real-life situation. But let's pick up again, verse 4. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law... Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Pause. I thought I should do the due diligence of making sure that the Pharisees were correct in, in their accusation here. So I went back, checked the law of Moses. Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22 saying uh, essentially the same thing that... Both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. All right, they're correct. She should be put to death. But then I, I felt like something was missing. And so I went back and I read it again, and then I counted. And I, we're missing someone here. So I don't know, we don't... We don't find out where the dude is in this scenario, why he got left out of this. Maybe he was a good friend of these scribes and Pharisees, and ah, you, you just had that, we'll, we'll take her over to Jesus. But what that tells us, most importantly, these, these people don't give a rat's behind about the law. They don't care. I'm, they're just using it as a weapon. This thing that they claim to hold so near and dear, the law of Moses, they're just going to use it as a stick to try and beat Jesus. Let's continue. Verse 6. They were using this question as a trap. Aha! In order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. That's the famous line from this story. Verse 8, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Pause. There's a lot going on in those three verses. First thing I want to point out, wow, Jesus is smart. I mean, this is, this is an excellent trap. The ramifications of either choice are going to get like, pretty, pretty, pretty good work by, by the scribes and the Pharisees here. I don't think I could have gotten out of this one. If Jesus chooses to say, you know what, go ahead, stoner. I, I don't care. That goes against everything that he's about, goes against his entire ministry, and he can't do that. He, that, like, that, that. That's against his character. He can't say that. In the, in the Pharisees' point of view, they don't think he'll say that because he'll lose his following. He's, this is the man that dines with tax collectors and sinners. And yet, he also can't say, don't stone her. Because then they will be able to accuse him of not caring about the law of Moses, which they didn't, but they would have a formal accusation against him if he said that. It's like an impossible brain teaser I was thinking about when I was young enough to where the coolest thing my phone could do was text. We used to, my friends and I would do things like sit around a campfire and we'd, we'd play these games which could be very frustrating. They're like brain teaser, mind trick games. Uh, there's, there's one called Black Magic where somebody is pointing at objects and anybody who knows the trick can say, oh yes, that's the object you're thinking of. And everybody that doesn't know the trick, they're like, what, how did you do that? And there's another one called the green glass door. I, by the way, I never figured out how the black magic one works, so if anybody's got that secret, go ahead and see me uh, after the service. The green glass door, I knew though I was in on that one. Green has two E's in a row, glass has two S's in a row, and door has two O's in a row. So anything with a double letter in it could fit through the green glass door, but anything without double letters could not fit through the green glass door. The Bible does not fit through the green glass door, but these sheets of paper do. It's an impossible, impossible task to figure out what's going on. How, what, what's the trick? Unless you know it. And yet Jesus is so smart, he understands the human heart so well that he finds a way out of this trap. So Jesus is smart. Next thing I wanted to point out, what's, what's going on with the writing on the ground? There's a lot of, lot of theories out there on what he was writing, and some of them are, some of them are fun, like, oh, he was writing the, writing the sins of the Pharisees, and they read them. They're like, holy cow, he's right. Uh, we, we don't know that. Maybe uh, he was, all kinds of theories. Now, the first thing I thought was, Man, this guy is patient. 
they're coming in here hot and bothered, ready to, ready to stone this woman. And they start throwing around accusations like, Jesus, what do you say? And he's like, give me a second. I, I have to doodle. so patient in conflict. Side sermon. Can we emulate that? Can we emulate that patience in conflict? So what I like best about this writing on the ground thing is that there is another time in this, in this book, we call it Exodus, where someone namely Yahweh, the God of Israel, stoops down twice and doodles with his finger as it regards to the law of Moses. Twice, God descends onto Mount Sinai, meets with Moses, and writes the Ten Commandments for him because the first time Moses broke them, so he had to do it twice. And I'm, I don't know if, I would assume that the religious elites in this scenario did not understand that. But it's, it's a fun tidbit for us. I thought it was fun. It reminded me of my favorite line from the Narnia uh, movies. It's not, it's not quite the same in, in the book, but uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the movie, Aslan says to the white witch, do not cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Any, any Narnia fans? All right. More hands than for Judge Caprio. Sorry, <laughs> your honor. Um, so Jesus is exercising his authority over the law here. I was there when it was written. And the last thing I want to point out here is that Jesus, he did pick a side. And he, he sided with the law. This is the guy that said in the Sermon on the Mount, not the smallest letter or stroke of the law shall pass away until all is fulfilled. And so they slowly walk away, one at a time, leaving only the woman and Jesus and we pick up in verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here we have it, Jesus, the good judge. And what he does, he takes the trial from the courtroom with witnesses and a jury, stones in hand, ready to, ready to carry out their sentence. He takes the case from the courtroom to the judge's chambers, just the judge and the accused. And he says, You are guilty but there is no sentence. You don't have to flip here with me, but I wanted to 
briefly go to, to Romans chapter 8, Paul talking about why this makes sense. Because Jesus brings a new legal system. There's a new law. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Verse 1 might be a verse that sounds familiar. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's a new law, says Paul. It's the law of the spirit of life. And in this new law, in this new legal system, righteousness is fulfilled in those of us walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. See, in both legal systems, death is the penalty for all sin. We had a, I, my dad and I teach the Bible Blueprint class here this year. Shout out to those of you in the room that I, I see in, a, in our class. We had a conversation back in October or so when we were in the book of Leviticus. My favorite book of the Old Testament, by the way, Leviticus. We had a conversation. The, the question was asked, why did all the animals have to die? Like that's, it seems excessive. It seems brutal. And that is, that's true from a point of view. But we flip the question to, what does that show us that all the animals had to die? And one of, the, one of the lessons of the book of Leviticus is, sin is so severe, someone has to die for it. Every time. That's the old legal system, and that's part of the new legal system too. And yet, what Paul said in verse 3 is that God sent his own son to be the sin offering. I don't think that's news for us, but it's important. As we see this woman in the judge's chambers, with the judge, the one who was worthy to throw a stone. Everyone else walked away because they were not sinless and could not throw the first stone. But the guy that could stayed. And remember, he picked a side. He picked the side of the law. And yet, he was ready. He was ready to take the stones himself. Reconciliation with God requires a death. And he provided the judge did it himself. And so the judge offers freedom instead of condemnation. Our series is called Lives Jesus Change. This feels like maybe a change. Exchanging condemnation for freedom. And so, primarily, what's going on here is that 
Jesus doesn't condemn her. That's great. But there's something else. Because he's, he sent away all the other condemnation as well. It is not only that Jesus doesn't condemn us, yes and amen to that, but also as we live with the judge, as we abide with the judge, as we share life with him and draw near to him, all that third-party condemnation, all the condemnation of the world just drops away. They drop their stones and they walk out. The world can be brutal. The world can say, you are terrible at this. You are a bad person if you don't do this. You are a bad parent. You are a bad employee. The world has all kinds of opinions. And don't hear what I'm not saying. There is absolutely room within the, the family of God, within the, within the brothers and sisters of Christ to keep each other accountable. But this condemnation from the world, when you've got one-on-one -on -one time with the judge all the time, just drowns out. You don't even hear it. And so the judge, again, doesn't declare her innocent. He declares her free. She does not need to be a slave to her sin. She does not need to be a slave to the law. She does not need to be a slave to the religious elites or the culture or the opinions of the world. And that's our story too. We do not need to be slaves to any of that. We are asked to be a slave to the judge, to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, he is a good, good master. And in the judge's chambers, one-on-one, -on -one, he says, gently, try again. Keep going. I love you. Try again. I'd like to invite the worship team to make their way back up here. I've got opportunities to do stuff like this. And as a part of that, I know the Lord is calling me into some form of this public ministry. And the world and my own flesh, to be honest with you, says... Oh, what an opportunity for fame. What an opportunity for popularity this is. Which can lead into a condemnation of, well, that's, what are you doing? That's not, that's not smart. If you're, if you're not using this as a, as, a, as a platform to, you know, grow yourself. But, I'm coming to learn, slowly, to be content with the simple things that, that God has for me. If I have nothing from him but an opportunity to love him every day and to love my wife, 
That's got to be enough for me. It's got to. The world's going to tell me that's crazy. But the judge says, that's got to be enough. And so, we've got action steps. Because what are, we, what are we trying to do? We're trying to receive. We're trying to receive the freedom, the life-giving freedom of Jesus. And we do that by continuing to abide. So we've got the Lenten action steps, the reflections. Oh, man, the reflections on Facebook and Instagram this week. I, I'm, I am blown away by the openness and the vulnerability of, of our church family and the insightfulness and wisdom of some of the students in this church family. Unbelievable. We've got prayer and worship gatherings in the lighthouse. We've got text, text groups you can join. We've got the Rhythms of Grace conference uh, next weekend that you could sign up for as well. And I've got one additional action step for you. Can you pick up a holy habit? Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Paul said, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And a little bit later, the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. There's something that Paul is offering about engagement of the mind. Can we pick up a holy habit, praying the hours, regular prayers at morning, at night, rhythms. Think rhythms of re-engagement with the Lord. Friends, let's draw near to the Lord and receive the freedom that he offers to us.